it's football Sunday, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, I heard about this man, and I've told this story before a few years ago, but I love it. It's about this man who, his dream was to go to the Super Bowl. That was his lifelong dream. So one year it came true, he got a ticket. He showed up at the game, and he was really disappointed because his seats were in the extreme nosebleed section, I mean at the very top of the stadium. He was all bummed out, and he's like, you know what? There's gotta be someone who didn't show up today. I'm gonna find that seat, and I'm gonna get a better seat. So he walked throughout the whole stadium. He ends up near the 50-yard line, about four four rows up. I mean, the most amazing seats right there. He walks down the aisle, and there next to a man is an empty seat. And he looks at the man, and he says, Sir, is that seat empty? And the man says, Yes, that's my wife's seat, but she passed away. He goes, Oh, I am so sorry, sir, about the loss of your wife. But I do have one question. Why didn't you ask one of your family members or friends to come with you? He said, oh, that's simple. They're at the funeral. Um, I, how many know some people take football too seriously? I mean, some of you need to tone it down just a little bit. Tone it down just a little bit. I love that story. <laughs> I would never do that. Honey, you're watching. I love you if you're in the this service. I would never do that. Hey. I want to I dive into our theme for the year, and I want to preach a sermon about it. It's called Family First. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, and we're going to read this passage together. You know, the last thing that God said in the Old Testament, we're going to read right now, and then he goes quiet for 400 years, and when he comes back after 400 years, he says basically the same thing. So this is a big deal to God, and as I was praying about the new year, the Lord gave me the theme, Family First. And I'm going to talk to you about what I think that means and what that means for us as a church family. Let's go to Malachi. If you have a Bible, you can go there, your phone, however you get in your scripture. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Let's all read it loudly together. Let me hear you, church family. Ready? Here we go. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you to help me unpack this idea of family first. This passage that you put in my heart is our theme verse for the year. Teach me, teach us what this really means and how we can apply it and we can live it out. Everyone just say this. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So God ends the Old Testament before he goes quiet for 400 years, and he says, I'm going to send the prophet Elijah. His message is going to do this. This is important. I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers. Now, the word fathers there can actually be interpreted or translated parents. So I'm going to turn the hearts of parents towards kids. And because I turn the hearts of parents towards kids... Kids are going to turn their hearts to the parents, and because of that, we're going to avoid a curse in the land. I got to tell you, as I look at our country, because the family has begun to unravel in our culture, I believe we're seeing a little bit of what God talked about in Malachi. In fact, let me give you a few statistics. One out of three children in America live in a home without a father. The U.S. has the highest divorce rate of any nation in the world. Teen pregnancy in America is twice as high as Canada. Those of you that are joining us, a little, little information for you in Canada. 
It's three times higher than France, and it's seven times higher than Japan, and is the highest rate in the world. The USA has the highest rate of child abuse in the world, with over three million child abuse um, cases reported and filed each year. One out of four American girls will be sexually abused before their 18th birthday. Now listen to this. 90% of homeless runaway kids, 80% of rapists, 71% of teen pregnancies, 63% of youth suicides, and 71% of high school dropouts can all be traced to a home without a father. As the family goes, so goes the nation. And if the family can't get it together, then the nation won't get it together. And God said, listen, I'm sending this spirit of Elijah to awaken the hearts of my people to turn towards others rather than themselves, to turn their hearts. And through that, you'll be able to avoid all of this horrible, all of these horrible things that will happen in the nation because it all centers around family first. You know, when God created the world, he created humanity, and the first thing he created was a family. He created man, and he said, it's not good that you be alone, and he gave him a wife. He created a family. That was the first thing he did when he created humanity. God cares about the family. He talks in family language. He says, I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is a God who cares about the family. Now, today, maybe you're here and you feel like, well, this message isn't for me. I don't have kids. I'm single. I'm too young. Um, But I want to tell you something. I don't believe this message is just for biological families. I believe it's a principle that God wants to teach all of us about the heart of a parent or the heart of someone who says, I'm going to care and be responsible for someone else. This year is the year of the family. We're building a family building. Our new Kid Venture building is going to be awesome for families. This is the year of the family, and this is the year I believe God is trying to awaken his church. Because after 400 years, he said, listen, I want to awaken families to turn the hearts of parents to children and the hearts of children to parents. Then 400 years later, the first thing God says, after 400 years of silence, he says almost the exact same thing. He shows up to Zechariah, right, who was in the temple serving And he tells them, hey, your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a son. And then he goes on to say this. His name will be John, John the Baptist. And it says in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 17, he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. We read that before, right? That's what God said before 400 years of silence. And then he goes on to say he'll prepare prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And look what it says. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children... And he will cause those who are rebellious, kind of referring to kids, to accept the wisdom of the godly. Interesting, this is a big deal to God. In fact, all of time is is focused around the birth of Christ. And in that moment, God had one thing to say, and it was family first. So I want to unpack it. I want to talk about it. And I want to see how it relates to you and I. What does this mean, family first, and how you and I can be people that turn our hearts to be responsible for someone else? It's interesting because he starts by saying it all is going to begin with a prophetic message like the prophet Elijah. And I begin to ask myself the question, why did he pick Elijah? Of all the prophets, he could have picked Jeremiah, he could have picked Isaiah, right? 
And as I begin to think about it, it's perfect. He picked Elijah because Elijah, if you read his story, he was busy doing things for God. And then there came a moment where God took him to the mountain and spoke something over him. And here's what he said. You're going to go from this place and you're going to be a spiritual father. You're going to be responsible spiritually for somebody else. And the Bible says that he went and he anointed Haziel, king of Syria. He anointed Jehu, king of Israel. And then he went to Elisha and he anointed him to be his successor. And he raised him up and he poured into him and he mentored him. and He turned his heart to the next generation of leadership. And the Bible says that when Elijah went into heaven on a chariot, what did Elisha say? My father, my father. So God was specific with who he chose, and he was specific with what he talked about. So what I want to do today is I want to just break down what John the Baptist, who was walking in this spirit of Elijah, what he had to say and what the message was surrounding him. And it'll give us some things that we can apply in our lives so that we can understand family first. Y'all with me? Say amen. So we're going to learn a little bit today. The first thing, when it comes to the heart of a parent... And we're all called to parent somebody, whether we have biological children or not. We're all called to be responsible for others. That's part of the Christian faith. The first thing that we learn about parents as we read this story is is this. Write this down if you're taking notes. Parents, number one, prepare the way. Say that with me. Parents prepare the way. If you look back in Luke chapter 1 verse 17, it says that John the Baptist came And he was to preach, right? And what does the Bible say? It says that he will, what's the word? He'll prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Now let me just stop and talk a minute about preparation. How many of you are married? Okay. How many have ever had, um, maybe your, let, let let me talk to the men for a minute. How many men have ever had your wife tell you that company is coming? And you're like, cool until you realized that there was a long list that came with that because you had to get the house ready. Come on, how many are talking about? If family's going to come stay, if people are going to come over for the party today, for the Super Bowl, you get the honeydew list. Anybody here ever had a honeydew list? It is not sweet like honey. My list always involves several things. My kids sometimes are part of that list, but for me, here's what I have to do. First of all, I have to make sure the outside of the house looks good, which means we spray down the front, and I have to get a rag, and I have to wipe all of the bird poop off of the gate in the front. Come on, any men know what I'm talking about? We can't have any white. It's ugly. And of course, in the back, we got to spray off the, the chairs and all of the furniture outside because they get dusty. And then, of course, in the house, we got to make sure the house is clean. We got to wipe things down. We got to take things that are normally somewhere and we hide them in the closet because we don't want people to see. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? That old thing that we haven't put away. The... And what are we doing? We're preparing things, especially if it's family to come stay. We're washing the sheets. We're putting on new bedding. We're getting the room ready for them to arrive. In other words, there is effort. There is thought. There is an involvement that we all have to prepare the way for someone to come. My question is, is there anyone in your life, it could be a coworker, it could be someone in the neighborhood, it could be that young kid in your neighborhood that their parents are going through a divorce and they're never around. It could be someone on the job that's struggling. It could could be anyone. Is there anyone in your life that you have put thought, time, and effort into preparing the way for the coming of the Lord? 
You see, as a parent, we think, well, I'm going to prepare the way for my kids to be successful in life. But what we find out in this whole topic of parenting and God's message is that parents prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And what I want to encourage you with is simply this, is that God has called us to be people who don't just love other people and be nice to other people, but we're called to be the people who are actively creating a way for the Lord to enter the lives of their homes and their families. Because here's the reality is God wants to bless our nation. He wants to bless our land. But we won't walk in blessing. Instead, we'll walk in curse if God's people don't turn their heart to someone who needs them. Who in your life needs the coming of the Lord? Because I'm going to tell you, it's easy for us in life. We get so caught up in being a Christian and going to church that we forget that God has called us to prepare the way. What needs to be sprayed down? Maybe for preparing the way in your life looks like sitting down and going to coffee and listening to what they're going through. Maybe it's buying something that they need. Maybe it's taking someone into your home. We have a family in our church that has brought a young man and a young woman into their home that they're just people that needed someone to love on them. You know, there are kids in this church that don't have Christian parents and they'd love for some Christian parents just to be nice to them, take them out to lunch after church, take them on a trip, Spend time with family. Let them see a healthy family, a Christian family. How many know there are people out there, there are single people that have no one in their life. Maybe they're at college or maybe they're out here trying to make it in life and they need someone to be their friend. I'm gonna tell you, listen, God has called you and I to say, I'm gonna turn my heart to those who are around me. I'll be responsible for somebody to prepare the way so that the Lord can come. How many know that I'm thankful the Lord came into my life? Are you thankful that he came into yours? Parents prepare the way. You ready for point number two? Write this down. Second thing we learn about family first is that parents teach repentance. Parents teach repentance. Now, I know some of you got nervous when we started talking about repentance. That's, a, that's a, sometimes a scary word. Because when we think of that, we think of fire and brimstone preachers. Repent! We've seen the signs on the side of the road. Turn or Burn! Have you ever seen those signs? Let's see what, what John the Baptist said. Because John the Baptist came with the spirit of Elijah, and his preaching, his message, turns the hearts of people to, to others and prepares the way for God to come. Look at what he says. He basically says, repent and be baptized. And he says, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. I want to say that again. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are Abraham's seed or descendants of Abraham. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. When we hear that, our thought, I don't know about you, goes to when I was young and I went to church, that it was kind of the focus and the message was always repent. In fact, I was scared to death that I was going to die before I had gone to the altar and repented. I'm serious. I, every, every single service, I would come to the altar and repent of my sins because I was going to heaven. 
And I want to tell you that if we're not careful, we can have this mentality that we live with this fear, not reverence, but fear of disaster, fear of hell. In churches, sometimes we can, we can go a little too heavy on one side and talk about hell and talk about smoke insurance, <laughs> fire insurance. And try to scare people into heaven. And I don't believe that repentance is about scaring people into heaven. But secondly, I think we've also seen the other extreme, and that is hyper grace. And hyper grace says, just do whatever you want. God loves you. Grace covers all sin. And can I tell you that that's not true? In fact, in the Bible, the Bible doesn't say that grace covers sin. All sin. Can I tell you what grace covers? The Bible says that grace covers repented sin. I know I didn't hear very many amens on that one, but I'm just going to just say it like it is because we've seen in our world hyper uh, a fear and we've seen, you know, fire brimstone preaching and at the other side we've seen hyper grace which says, do whatever you want, live however you want. God knows you're a good person. Everybody goes to heaven. Can I tell you, the Bible doesn't say that everybody goes to heaven. The Bible says that grace covers repented sin. And can I stop and say that God never sends anyone to hell. Hell was not created for mankind. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. And God made a way so that no human ever has to miss heaven. So anyone that goes to hell goes there because they chose to. And they missed out on the grace that God has available to them. You see, God covers, His grace covers repented sin. And what John says is, listen, when it comes to repentance, live a lifestyle that demonstrates your repentance. The word repentance means to turn and go the other way. So when we come to God, we don't just come to God and say, God, I'm sorry, I blew it. We come to God and say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me, and fill me with your spirit so that I can do differently, I can live differently. Now, we'll all still make mistakes. We're not perfect. No one is righteous, no, not one. And the grace of God covers all sin. I believe that the grace of God, when you repent of your sins, unless you are doing like the scripture says, the unpardonable sin, where you're rejecting the Holy Spirit, the grace of God covers all sin, which means your past and your present and your future sin. That's why that if you love Jesus and you're serving Jesus and you're driving down the road and you get in a car accident and you yell out a bad word as you, as you end this life, I don't believe you're going to go to hell. I believe you're going to go to heaven if you have a relationship with Christ because grace covers our repented sin. And when I repent of my sins, I say, God, forgive me of everything I've done. Forgive me of the things that I might do. But I also ask God that you'll fill me with your spirit so that I can live differently. And as John said, I can prove by the way I live that I have been forgiven. You see, when you're forgiven, you want to live different. Come on, amen. And I want to tell you that parents teach repentance. We need to be a culture that teaches our kids to repent of our sins. We need to be people that teach others that we should repent, that we should live a life of repentance. So I want to give you two ways to to live a life, to prepare or teach repentance. And I'm going to show you one that's going to probably surprise you. But I think this is one of the greatest ways to teach repentance. You ready? Here it is. Love people and do good. 
What? How is that going to teach people to repent? Well, because here's the thing. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You'll never debate someone into heaven. You'll never debate someone into faith. But what you can do is love them to the point that as your heart is turned towards them, their heart will be turned towards you and they'll see the love of God in you. And when they know that you care, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Because here's what the scripture teaches us. This is awesome. Look at this. It's found in Romans. It says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. When people see the goodness of God, his love, his grace, his compassion flowing through you, that will trigger something inside of them that causes them to reach out to a loving God who can forgive and who can change. I'm going to tell you one of the greatest ways that we can teach repentance is to start loving on people, caring for people, demonstrating our compassion for people. And as they see that love flowing through you, the goodness of the Lord will lead us to repentance. Amen? That's what Family First is all about. It's that we say, God, I'm not going to live life worrying about myself, but I'm going to say, I'm going to be responsible for somebody. I'm going to love somebody. I'm going to take care of somebody. I'm going to pour myself like Elijah into Elisha into somebody. One of the greatest ways to teach repentance is to show goodness and love. Can I show you the second way? Model repentance. Are you a person that people would say they're, they're a repentant person? You know, one of the things is I think about my dad, I began to realize that he was a person who modeled repentance. And I didn't really think about it until this message. But I can't tell you how many times in my life my dad would sit down at the kitchen table in their house and with a tear in his eyes, he would look at me or he'd look at our family and he would make a statement like this. I'm sorry for such and such. Will you forgive me? And what was crazy, what's great about it is he always did it without a but. Now, I'm not talking about my dad's anatomy, in case you're wondering. <laughs> I'm talking about that I'm sorry, but you know, if you hadn't, I'm sorry, but you don't know all the troubles that I've gone through. I'm sorry. Can I tell you that repentance isn't saying you're sorry? Repentance is saying, I want to change. And a lot of people think if we just say we're sorry, but the problem is, is most of us don't model repentance to our children. We don't model repentance to people in the workplace because we've always got to be right. And so we carry a big old butt every time we do something. Some of us like big butts and you, you cannot lie. Because we can't get through an apology, we can't get through a forgiveness without an excuse to go along with it. One of the things I love about my dad is he never brought his butt into his apology. I wonder what our world would be like if rather than people that jumped on our soapbox to give our opinion and why we're right, we were people that walked in humility and said, I'm sorry, forgive me, I'm going to do differently, I'm going to do better. 
What would happen in our world if we would teach through goodness and through modeling that person across the the way in the office who is going through a hard time with the boss just like we did? Rather than empowering them to be bitter and empowering them to create division, empowering them to gossip, we confess and repent of our sins and our wrong, whatever percentage it is. If you even have 1% of wrong, you need to repent. Even if they have 99% right. If I have 1% wrong, I have a responsibility to repent. What does John say? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins because parents prepare the way. And I'm going to tell you, one of the greatest ways to prepare the way for God to enter our homes, our families, our workplace, our city, our nation is to be people of repentance, people who teach others to repent. Y'all with me? Say amen. That's good preaching. Amen, Pastor Jared. Amen. Amen. But, oh, just kidding. I just uh, You know, it's really cool, a story I heard today, um, or not today, I'll share that story in a minute, but several years ago, my wife and I lived next to someone in uh, Modesto, and unfortunately, her husband committed suicide on tax day, April 15th. She was left with this massive tax bill, all of this debt, wasn't a believer, and struggling, had an old broken down car, the house was in disarray, and you know what? My wife and I didn't preach to her. You know what we did? We loved her. She was older than us, but in a way, God used us as parents, that parental heart, because we began to take care of her. We began to provide meals for her. Eventually, the Lord spoke to us to give our vehicle to her because she needed a job, and the only job she could get was the Bay Area, and those were the better-paying jobs, and it was a long commute, and her car would never make it there and back. So the only way for her to get a job, to keep her house, to make it, was to have a car, and so God spoke to our hearts, and we gave our car to her. And you know what happened? We gave our car to her because we loved her, because we cared for her, and you know what happened? She started coming to our church, and she got saved. Not because we debated or preached to her, but because our heart was turned towards her. The goodness of the Lord will lead us towards repentance. Amen? I'm going to end with the last point. Parents prepare the way, parents teach repentance, and the last thing is parents model generosity. They come to John the Baptist and they say, hey, what should we do? How should we repent? And he says, well, prove it by the way you live. And they said, well, what else should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, what's the next word? Give one to the poor. If you have food, what's the next word? Share it with those who are hungry. You know, it's easy for us when it comes to Christianity to kind of focus on ourselves. I, I was reminded of a story, and I'll end with this. There was a woman that came to me after our prayer time. We've been doing prayer times now on Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. It's been awesome. If you're looking for a prayer circle, come join us. We have prayer in the mornings. It's awesome. She said, you know, Pastor, you've been talking about circles and how we need to lead a circle or be in a circle. And, and so I, I really wasn't into it. And, and one day when I was praying and, and stuff, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, lead a circle. So I'm like, okay, God, I'm all in. And I went and talked to one of the leaders in the church, went through the process and eventually started a circle. And after about three or four weeks of that circle, pastor, I kind of started looking around going, I can't wait for this circle to end. And she goes, here's why. And she goes, I'm embarrassed and ashamed to say it, but I was looking around the room and I was thinking, I don't really relate to any of these people. 
I don't even know if these would be the people I would choose to hang out with. Come on, anybody ever been there in a forced relationship? Come on, if you're married, you have to have had a forced relationship at some point with another couple where the wife, your wife loves her, but he's a knucklehead. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't look at me like that. You've met some knuckleheads too. And so she said it was just weird. It was, it was like, you know, I was trying to be nice and I was doing my, what I was supposed to do, but I just didn't really, there wasn't any chemistry there. And I was like, I'm going to give up. And I talked to the Lord. And I said, God, when this session's over, I'm not going to do it again. And then, then she said, the Holy Spirit hit me and said, wait a minute, it's not about you. She goes, whoa, whoa. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit tell you something you're like, whoa, whoa, hey, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on a second. <laughs> yes, the Holy Spirit said, it's not about you. She says, suddenly my perspective changed and I realized, wait a minute, maybe I didn't come into this circle because I'm going to get all the friends and make myself feel good and have people that will call me and watch over me and maybe God put me in this circle because I'm supposed to be a friend to somebody else. And she said, I started looking at my circle and I realized it was filled with people who were hurting, people that needed friendship, people that were praying for a group of people that they could have stand with them and pray with them. And she said, my whole attitude changed. And she said, I started loving my circle. She said, I started texting all the people in my circle. In fact, when our circle was over, we didn't stop. We kept it going. And now we keep texting each other. We're not even in a circle anymore. She said, everything changed when I realized it's not about me. Twelve of you got that. <laughs> it's not about you. And if we're not careful, the kingdom of God becomes about us. Gosh, I get to be forgiven. Gosh, I get to be blessed. Gosh, I get to... God watches over me and my kids and everything is about me. And what God is saying in Malachi and what he's saying in Luke is life isn't about you. And here's the thing, if you'll learn that and you'll say, I'm going to care about someone else, I'm going to invest in somebody else, I'm going to buy a couch for that young couple in our church that's struggling and doesn't have anything, I'm going to do something for them. I'm going to invite that single person that I see hanging out at church, leaving by themselves every week, I'm going to invite them to dinner with us after church at lunch. I'm going to let that kid come and hang out with us after school and when the kids are working on homework, he can work on homework too and get a popsicle like my kids. I'm going to spend, I'm going to invest in those. I'm going to lead a circle. There's all kinds of people that need friends. I'm going to be the friend that they need. When we suddenly learn that it's not about us, what does the scripture say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. When the hearts of the fathers are turned to the children, then the children will turn to their fathers and I'm tired of our world looking at this next generation and saying they're lazy, they're entitled, they don't understand, they don't work hard. Well, maybe instead of complaining about them, we need to turn our heart towards them and say we love you. God has a plan for you. We're going to invest in you. We're going to spend time with you we believe in you because it's not about you it's about what God can do through you and the greatest reward that you'll ever experience the greatest society will ever see is a society that says family first it's not about me because parents it's not about us right we sacrifice for our kids we do everything for our kids. We drive everywhere all over the place for our kids. 
We have no life because of our kids. <laughs> Who do you have in your life that you are investing yourself in such a way that the Lord can come? Who are you demonstrating goodness to? Who are you modeling repentance to? Who are you giving of yourself in generosity to? I'll end with this outside, a precious lady in our church. She came up and she said, Pastor, I want you to meet so-and-so. I think her name was Diane. I said, hey, Diane, nice to meet you. She looked at me, she said, it's nice to meet you too. She said, I've been watching you online, but I live all the way across town and I can't come. But this lady right here was, you were preaching about her today because she came and picked me up today and brought me over here so that I could be in church and I could hear your message. The goodness of the Lord leads us to repentance. I'm challenging you in 2018. It's not about you. It's about our kids. We're building family first. We're building kid venture right here. We're investing in the family. This is the year of the family. This is the year that God shifts. I'm asking the Lord to give me a prophetic message through my, through my teaching that will awaken us to say, God, I'm going to be the person who, whether it's generosity, financial, I'm going to give to kid venture and help finish that building out. I'm going to lead a group going to take care of someone on our block. I'm going to invite someone to church. I'll give you one more story, and I know I'm running a little long, but yesterday was an incredible day. I did a funeral. And the reason I did a funeral is because of a young woman who's in our church who reached out to me and said, Pastor, would you come and do this? And she told me the story, and it's a sad story of a 32-year-old man who got in a car accident and passed away. She goes, I know it's really sad and the, the, the family is struggling, but pastor, you got to know something. She goes, in June 2016, now let me explain who this person is before I tell you. She was the ex-girlfriend. The ex-girlfriend. She said, I just felt like he needed higher vision. So she said, I invited him, and in June 2016, when you gave the altar call, he raised his hand and he accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And she said, so I know he would want you to do his funeral. I got up in his funeral. The place was packed. People were standing along the walls. The overflow room was completely full. People were outside in the vestibule everywhere. And because one ex-girlfriend who could have said, ah, I don't even like him anyway. We're not together anymore. I don't like the way he treated me. It's not my problem. He's got somebody else in his life. Someone said, it's not about me. She brought him to church. He accepted the Lord. And I stood in front of that congregation. And a hundred people yesterday raised their hand to say, I want Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins. Because someone understood family first. Someone understood it's not about 